Welcome to Engage Your Tribe, a podcast about the art and science of audience engagement. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest is Hanan Averbuch, Executive VP at PrimeView for the Americas. Hanan, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Really a pleasure. Thank you. You are very welcome. Just real quick, I'm going to let everybody know that Engage Your Tribe is brought to you by Tribal Knowledge Podcasting. We're a full-service B2B podcasting agency that helps brands use podcasting as a fun and efficient way to have authentic, non-salesy conversations with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. You can learn more at tribknowledge.com. Okay, Hanan, so tell us a little bit about your background and about PrimeView. Sure. So I actually started my personal journey really coming from an investment financial analysis side got involved in global manufacturing and then with family and real estate. And somewhere along the way, I got this opportunity to, you know, really engage with PrimeView. And 11 years later, you know, we've, thank God, accomplished some tremendous things and have some of the coolest projects around the world from the Legoland theme parks at this point to large studios like ESPN broadcast studios to workplace technology for city groups and Bank of Americas and American Express of the world. So we've done some really cool stuff. That's more on, on a personal path. So PrimeView is really born company. I've been in business now for over two decades. The U.S., the Americas, where I'm more involved. I've been there for 11 years, but the U.S. operations have been around for 15 years. And PrimeView, while we're an Israeli born tech company, we started off doing large visual display technologies for government, command and control, so as an Israeli company, obviously, that means control rooms, you know, for, you know, you know, secure sites for the Israeli Defense Force, for the Army, Navy, et cetera. And that's sort of on a global perspective. In the U.S., though, we've really done a lot of different dynamic things. But at the end of the day, stilling, still staying true to our core, which is the visual technology, the hardware, the software, and today the content as well. Okay, awesome. So now I know that you guys are working on, or maybe you're already in the process of rolling out like a turnkey solution, right? As as you just mentioned, the audio, video, and producing the content. And I know that one of the first priorities for you guys is just simply figuring out, you know, who are the decision makers that are going to buy this uh, turnkey solution? So how do you go about discovering those folks? You know, I think that's an ongoing discussion, if I'm being honest. You know, when we originally launched our first all-in-one SKU back in 2018, the real reason we launched it was to a certain extent because of lack of resources that we had internally with the skeletal staff here in the U.S. to do estimating. And we created this all-in-one solution because now it's no longer a custom solution. It's not a two-page long quote. It's a one-line item SKU. So that's how we started really the turnkey approach in 2018. 2019, as this hybrid model evolved, where today you're virtual, maybe someone over there in London, Hong Kong, whatever, um, there's a demand for these large hybrid meetings. So we created, instead of a 16 by 9 full HD wall, a 32 by 9, so we could have Hong Kong there, London here, video Mm -hmm. conferencing here, PowerPoint here. And... As we developed that solution and we had some, I don't want to use the word guinea pigs, right? Microsoft is not a guinea pig, but yeah. deployment, some of these larger Fortune 500 companies, we quickly learned that people wanted more of a turnkey. So we started 
creating the furniture package and doing a little more than just the LED. We started then also doing the setups as well, where we have the furniture, the tables, the chairs, et cetera, and even the collaboration technology that drives these things behind it. So very quickly in the system, what we started really doing is just that, bringing more to the table than just the LED and the furniture. Mm-hmm. Now, to your question, how do we figure out who that person is, right? So what we did in our industry, in our space of AV or audiovisual as we know it, is try to figure out who are the dominant forces in workplace technology. So what we did was, instead of opening it up, this turnkey solution to 30, 50, 100, 500,000 dealers and resellers, what we did was, is we established a small pool of resellers that we want to work with. So in the case of PrimeView for our Fusion Max 32 by 9 bundle, or 32 by 9 plus as we call it, a play on Apple Plus, no. Mm. We aligned ourselves with some good partners, one of them being SKC Communications. Another one is a you know billion-dollar, 500-pound gorilla, AVISBL. And another one that so- shortly joined the party to be announced this coming week. And what we did was now we have you know a few hundred feet on the ground that have exclusivity on the product, that have access to the product. And we sort of funnel business both ways. Um, with that said, though, there's also specifiers in the AV community, the consultants that we work with. You know, that may be a waveguide, a Newcomb and Boyd, Shen Milson Wilkie or Cerami, some of these AV consultants in the U.S. marketplace that are predominantly the specifiers and the designers behind these things. So we have the resellers, we have the specifiers, and now it's also coming to the point now where the end users themselves you know, I had success in 2018 deploying Prime Diffusion Max. I had success in 2019, 2020, 2021. Now they just have the newer version that's for a larger room that makes sense for them. And then lastly, we're also engaging the architectural community that is trying to figure out the challenges of workplace technology, of hybrid meeting spaces. And they're all trying to figure out, wait, so I can effectively work at home two, three days a week. Why would I come to the office? And that's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to solve. Why are you coming to the office? Well, it's not for the water cooler moment, right? Because everyone wants a social distance. So why why, what are we trying to solve? So ultimately, it's the thought leadership in the architectural community as well, trying to figure out what workplace technology should look like and what it will look like. I know it's a long answer, Mm -hmm. but it touches a lot of different spots. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 that and that makes sense. So, I mean, if I'm hearing you right, you sort of start kind of kind of small, focused, test out the concepts, and then go from there, and start with folks you already work with, customers you already have, and kind of build on that, which makes perfect sense. So, how, like, what are the signals that you're looking for, especially when it comes to like developing new personas? You know, how do you? What are the signals to you that we're on the right track? or mm, we need to pivot or adjust this persona a little bit. It was interesting that you say that because when, when we originally launched in 2019, I'm sorry, in 2020 and 2021, this 32 by nine canvas, the, the eye opener for us on the digital side to create this canvas was customers were already asking for this, but as a custom skew, which is two pages long, it's, a lot of mumbo jumbo to basically just say a one line item 32 by nine, basically. Mm -hmm. 
So our customers told us where we need to go. We were just nimble and smart enough to listen. That was the key, right? Mm-hmm. So when NASA or government agencies tell you this is what we want, and they're deploying these in large quantities, you just have to be willing to listen to say, oh, wow, we should go there and make this easier. So our customers brought us to the party to a certain extent. They told us where to go. We were just in a position to say, wow, let's just make this easier. That's really the key. It sounds so simple, (laughs) you know, just, but, but you're so right, obviously. I mean, your customers know better than you do about what they actually want, right? I mean, of course, but I think oftentimes a lot of companies and even a, you know, small outfit like mine sometimes like you just start making certain assumptions because sometimes you have to a little bit like start with some assumption then test it out but you can easily fall into that trap of like well we have these personas and based on our data they want x y and z even as the actual customers are telling you "Mm, no we actually want this but it can somehow it can be easy to ignore that i i think i mean even though it seems like you you would never want to do that Well, I think, Jeremy, if I'm looking at, let's just say, you know, always wanting to be right, then in reality, I'm often going to be wrong. And what I mean by that is the following. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I feel like I'm nine years old as I say that, but (laughs) when, you know, you and I were just talking about basketball injuries a few moments ago, you know, but when I was in my early 20s, I had a, uh, a leadership meeting that I had opportunity to be involved with. And I had the opportunity on a weekly basis to sit with different CEOs and over lunch and to learn from these guys. And one CEO, it really stuck with me. It's one of the largest real estate developers and management companies in New York called um, L&L Holdings. And this real estate developer, you know, I want to say he's a Holocaust survivor, an older Jew, probably at the time in his late 60s, early 70s. And he said, one person asked him a question. It says, when you're interviewing people, to join your team, where do you decide? When do you know if he's a right fit for your company? Mm. And he was very smart in his response, you know, and really to the T, he said, I want to make sure when I'm in a conference room and we're talking about projects and talking about goals and initiatives and strategies, I want to make sure everyone in this room does not say yes to me. Mm. I want there to be no's. I want there to be challenges. And a lot of that has to do with listening to understand what has to be done and not being jaded. So I think to your point earlier is if your customers are telling you something and you're still focused on selling the product, but not listening to how to modify your product or modify your support model or service model, you're doomed for failure, which I think the success of prime view in 2020 growing 30%, 2021 growing 40% is largely to do with not what we did, it's what we reacted to from our customers. That's the honest truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it points to another truth is that it's not about you. It's about your customers, right? There, you know, there's the cliche, like the customer is always right. And I, that pretty much is true because, again, they know what they want. And, and I think the other kind of, I don't know if it's a harsh truth, but it's just a truth like they don't care about you they care about finding the best solution to whatever problem they're dealing with. 
as long as they get it, they don't care where it comes from. I mean, the price has to be right and all that stuff, but they don't, they're not doing business with you because they like to be altruistic. Like, Oh, we hope you succeed. Like, no, we want to succeed. You're just a stepping stone along the way. And I think you have to embrace that, which can sometimes be hard because for you inside the company, you care very much about your company. It is all about you. Just like for them, it's all about them. Right. But I think if you just embrace that and be like, yeah, we're just here to serve them and we benefit too. Yeah. I think as a vendor or supplier, you have to be kin to the idea that yes, the customer is always right, but what is, what is he really trying to say? What's his real pain? What is he struggling with? Right. And Look, there are times where a customer can be wrong. I know that sounds, you know, you're not supposed to say that, but it could be. You know, I got a call just two days ago from a client of mine who's doing a real estate developer doing $500 million, $2 billion projects. And he's like, dude, you managed to piss off my whole team today. I'm like, <laughs> what? What do you mean I pissed off your whole team? And he goes, everyone's saying this, this, and that, and this, that. I said, let's take one at a time. Let's talk about number one. I said, that's factually not true. I said, no one wants to own it. Everyone wants to point a finger. But I have 50 emails to tell you that your team is lying to you. I said, but with that said, what are you trying to accomplish? He goes, I want to be up and running before Super Bowl. I said, okay, we will make that happen. He goes, I don't care about the e- This is what my clients said. I don't care about the emails. You don't need to show Find a way to get it done. We'll figure out afterwards. Just get it done. And to your point, Jeremy, th- that's it. Yeah. Customers don't care about the minutia. Just get it done. Yeah, yeah. And, and listen, fair point. I mean, not everything that a client says is accurate or true, right? It's just that any concern they have is legitimate, like that, that it matters to them. They, and I think like next level value that you can offer is when you can actually push back a little bit and say like, well, the way you're thinking about this is actually, according to what we know, maybe not entirely right. Have you considered this? And that's like the, the best value you can offer, right? E- even like above and beyond the actual product you sell, like your insight and your, your ideas that they might not have thought of. And then when it clicks and they're like, oh, you know what? Actually, hmm, good point. Like then you've really differentiated from whoever else can sell the stuff that you sell, right? You know, it, it's funny because I was talking to a good friend of mine just the other day about that. And the question is, at what point in a relationship with a client do you want to be reactive? And at what point do you want to be proactive? And I think ultimately what it comes down to in any industry, in any vertical, it comes down to one thing, which is, are you a thought leader? Right. So I think, you know, customers ultimately want to know that they're talking somebody who's not trying to sell them something. Yeah. But that's both thought leaders, thought leader in their space. And the reason that you're a thought leader is that you've proven for others that you can deliver and you've proven for others that you're trustworthy. You've proven for others that you think out of the box. And ultimately, again, like we said before, you solve their problems. Right. I learned day one in in finance classes when I was in college, when I thought I wanted to be a financial analyst at a bank in, you know, investment banking. Business is fairly simple. You have a pain and you solve it. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how much is that worth to somebody? As long as you solve it consistently, they'll pay for it. Yeah, true, true enough. So 
you know, I've I've used the word persona a couple times. And, you know, that's marketing jargon for trying to, you know, take the traits of the kind of people you're looking for and develop a kind of like avatar so that your team, you know, knows how to craft the messaging, all that stuff. But it is jargon, you know, and, and personas are not real people. What does that term mean to you? Do you find it useful? So I don't know that that's necessarily the most important thing uh, for us. But, you know, but when you say persona, what do you mean by that? Well, what, what I what I think I mean, what I w- I've always taken it to mean is kind of a stand in for the actual individual people that you're trying to talk to. And that represents kind of an amalgamation of traits and interests and pain points that at least gets you started on knowing how to talk to those people. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I'm very blessed in the sense that I have an extremely diverse background, extremely diverse. And I've been, you know, blessed that I've been able to accomplish things in a spiritual side of my Talmudic studies to my physical life and in family, as well as business. And I think part of being uh, an accomplished person is really just about balances, right? So I think if we're able to have a balanced approach in business, right? And I look at what I've done on a career side and say, I've done some stadium work. I've done some broadcast work, I've done some esports, work. I've done some healthcare, education, signage. So for me, on a personal level, because in the, the area of visual display technology, I'm an expert. And because I have clients in multitude of different marketplaces, it allows me to a certain extent not be jaded and give a client bad advice. Now, what I mean by that is the following. Today, for argument's sake, you know, a broadcast studio, they may want to buy LEDs and do a beautiful job, spend a lot of money. But the person guiding them on buying the right LED or buying the right video wall may not know what something is on camera known as moray and how it looks blurry on camera. They may not know that. And oftentimes when I close a deal, it's based off certain experiences from non-broadcast related projects that helps me close a deal in broadcast. So when people think about stadiums and arenas, I'll give you a good example. I was looking at a spec from a competitor of mine and he was clearly just responding to a bid. He wasn't listening to the client Mm. and what the client is trying to accomplish. So yeah, his price looked extremely attractive, but he gave the wrong solution. Mm. So I think if you're a person of balance, a person of diversity, and you unify all these various experiences, you could ultimately go and help a client in retail the same way you can help in education, digital out of home and transit, because you're not jaded to one specific solution. You're generally trying to understand what that person's about in his virtual classroom environment and try to solve it from experience in production and broadcast, experience in education, experience in an amphitheater project, maybe in large venue, and combine those experiences to say, look, I've seen some of this. I've seen some of that. Is this what you're trying to do? Help me understand what you want to do. And just having that dialogue to get to the bottom of it and say, ah, I think we got something good together. 
Not here's the model number that solves your problem. Like wake up people. That doesn't solve anyone's problem to say iPhone 10 is for you. Mm-hmm. Why? And that's the new age we work on today. Yeah. I like that a lot. It, it's it, kind of coming back to my question about personas. Like I still think, you know, personas can be useful, like as a starting point, but ultimately to really do well and succeed, you need to treat people as individuals and listen carefully to their specific concerns and, and really get to know them as individual human beings. And that just takes one-on-one conversation and patience and a willingness to like empathy, right? To like put yourself in their shoes. I think that I, I think that's what you're saying. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, hundred percent. I think the more you put yourself in the client's shoes versus your own, right? And you cast aside your own ego and your own yeah. arrogance, and you try to find out what he's trying to do, what he's trying to accomplish, you'll be very successful in the process because you're solving his problems and you're thinking in his head, what would I want to do, so to speak? And that's how you not just win the business, that's how you maintain a customer long term. Yeah. And, you know, you were talking about your diverse experience that really helps you in many areas of your life, including business. And that makes sense to me, just like the more practice you have in talking to all kinds of different people, the better you get at talking to all kinds of different people and being able to kind of see where they're coming from and, you know, and putting yourself in their shoes and getting inside their head. Yeah, it's so funny you said it because just yesterday, you know, I, I went back to my old community that I recently lived in, a different Jewish community. And when I went back to the community, my friends are like shocked that I moved to like this more isolated community. And they're mm-hmm. like, you're moving out of like the ghetto, the, the shtetl. Like, <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, you don't want to be in the big, big community. And I said, you need to understand something. My DNA is all about expansiveness. In order to be expansive, you need to be exposed to a lot of different types of cultures and backgrounds. And the area that I moved into now, it's awesome. I have a guy across the street who's African-American. I have a guy across the street who's a Puerto Rican. I have a guy next door who practices Christianity. Now I'm practicing Judaism. And it's awesome because... Mm -hmm. We all teach each other different things. It so happens to be that that guy's the CFO of the Dolphins. That guy owns a baseball <laughs> team. Like, like you, you're, you look at these guys, and they're all coming from different backgrounds, but the path to success is different for everybody, yeah. right? And I think, ultimately, if you're always stuck in your own way, and this is more of a philosophical thing, but if you're always stuck in your own little head, you can never really grow. But if you're forced yeah. to integrate and interact with all different types of people – that your pathway to success will be much greater because you're seeing things from different perspectives. And I think that's the coolest thing about life in general. And in business, COVID put a damper on people's travels. Yeah. The people became a lot more selfish because mm. they couldn't see other people's shoes. Right. And what other people are experiencing. So, you know, as we move out of this pandemic or pandemic, whatever you want to call it, scandemic, <laughs> whatever you, you think this thing is, I think, Ultimately, regardless of where you are in the political side of things, I think one thing that as we come out of this this life of fear, I think people are, God willing, going to be more expansive. And as people get out and book vacations again and get out there, Mm -hmm. they're going to quickly, hopefully, come to the same mindset, which is you want to be integrated and think about other people more often. 
than just yourself. And that's a lesson in life. And I think that's the lesson in business. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, COVID. I was going to bring it up too, that it sort of was this like worldwide experiment forced upon us about being more isolated than probably most people have ever been in their life. And even, you know, thank God we have things like Zoom. At least you could see other people through a screen, but it's not at all the same as being with other people in person and being able to freely associate. And, you know, we humans are social creatures by our nature and our DNA. And when you're deprived of that, it lowers your quality of life. It lowers your mental health, your physical health. You know, if you're a child in school, you can't learn as, as we've seen, right? Learning new things is all about being with not just hearing from other people, not just reading what somebody wrote, but actually talking to them one-on-one. I think that's very important and something that, at least for me, the pandemic really brought into focus. Like, wow, only when you're deprived of that can you realize how crucial it is. Yeah, you know, it's funny. One day about six months ago or eight months ago, uh, I was walking out of shul at a synagogue and uh, one of the rabbis came over to me and, you know, he puts his arm around me and he goes, how's you and your family doing with everything going on? I said, we're doing amazing. He goes, what? <laughs> he goes, you may not want to say that out loud. And, uh, you know, that you're doing amazing during COVID. And I said to him, you know, the honest truth is that pre-COVID, I was traveling probably 60 plus percent around the country. Mm. And uh, at the time, I had four kids. Now I have five, thank God. But at the time, I had four kids, young kids two of which I think that are here somewhere. I know where they are. Don't worry. But at the time I had four kids and I told my rabbi, like working from home has been a blessing. I get to like see my kids again. I feel like I'm for the first time experiencing this whole thing. And I was able to connect deeper to my roots with my wife and my kids and my family. And it gave me a different perspective to your point, you know? So that way, as we start coming out of this thing, we hopefully the idea is to become more expansive and to integrate more healthily and not just on digital. I mean, I'm probably the, the last guy standing with regards to not giving my 10 year old a phone. I, that sounds crazy to me, you know, and I'm, and, and I'm in the mm-hmm. technology space. I want my children and I want my, my, my family to learn how to communicate, not just virtually, you know, I hear you. I That's hear you. My yeah, I hear you. Well, there's so much more we could talk about, but Hanan, thank you so much for an awesome conversation. Really enjoyed it. Amen. Amen. God bless. It was really a pleasure as well. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. That's it for this episode of Engage Your Tribe. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. You know you want to. If you're a marketer or an internal communicator and you're interested in podcasting, we've got tons of free resources on the website at tribknowledge.com. That's T-R-I-B knowledge.com. Thanks for listening and staying engaged.